be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. You're listening to Relatively Conscious with Joy, Roberta, and Amalia, and welcome to today's episode. Say I look to manage black girl magic. Y'all can't stand it. Y'all can't ban it. Made out like a bandit. They've been trying hard just to make us all finish. I suggest. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about social media's impact and its usage. And so to start us off with that, I want to talk about the rise of Twitter because we're mostly going to focus on Twitter and then specifically black Twitter. So first, Twitter was introduced on a large scale in 2007 at a conference called South by Southwest. Users began to connect more and more with it because they saw it as authentic. And so by 2010, it ended up replacing Mevo, which was a large social media site that was used for instant messaging, kind of similar to Facebook Messenger. And so around that time, users started to get more and more connected with it. So much so that by 2009, it was noted that Jennifer Aniston ended up breaking up with her current boyfriend over his obsessive Twitter usage. I remember that. And so in current times, in 2014, on an average of, there was an average of 50 million tweets sent out each and every day by Twitter users. And nowadays, the company just refers to the current number as hundreds of millions. Mm, I have a question about that. What's up? What do you think about Twitter is it that makes it so addicting? I think that with Twitter, it's a lot easier to fake a persona because when you have things like Facebook and Instagram, you're more likely to have your friends and your family on it. But with Twitter, you're more likely to have complete strangers. So I think it'll be I think people put their more authentic selves out there. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned faking a persona and also being authentic because of the fact that. You're right, like anybody can be on your Twitter profile, but all the same, there is a rise of people of color expressing their true selves on Twitter, especially black and Latinx people. So black people, especially black adults, are the most likely to have an active Twitter account with 27% of black adults having an active Twitter account, meaning that they post like once or twice a day. And that might not sound like a lot, but when you compare it to only 21% of white adults, it's a pretty big gap. And it's the popularity of Twitter is only growing among minority communities. It's a conscious choice to do this, but also it's unconscious. You just gravitate to the things that are networks of support or entertainment or relatability. Like I said, that culturally legible aspect of finding a place that supports you because of the race or gender or both, which you may often not be treated well for. It's actually really interesting that you bring that up because there's kind of a theory called the Obama effect, which basically talks about the way that social social media usage among minorities has changed since Barack Obama's campaign. So basically in 2008, Obama changed the way that politicians interacted with their users. So... One of his main tactics was to use social media. So he ended up having um, 5 million friends across 15 different social media platforms, and his campaign posted 2,000 YouTube videos. And along with that, his supporters and also people who didn't support him ended up making over 400,000 videos about him. So these included edited videos of his face on Soulja Boy, (laughs) reactions to his different campaigns, raps about him, Oh, Roberta, not to cut you off, but like, 
Does anybody remember when Gangnam Style was like a big thing and they kept like making parodies about that? Because when I was like 10 years old, I remember like seeing a Gangnam Style parody, but with Obama. It just made a really big impact on me as a child. And so um, one of the main categories of people who were affected by Obama's campaign were actually black male youth. Because before that time, it wasn't... Co- it wasn't an uncommon thing for them to not have access to social media. And when they did have access to social media, they didn't really interact with it as much. And so when Obama came around, it kind of gave them a place to speak about politics and kind of give them a space to share their blackness. And that kind of eventually turned into what we now call black Twitter. So you're saying Obama invented black Twitter? We're saying Obama invented everything. <laughs> You know, on the thought of creating on the thought of creating safe spaces for black youth, did y'all know that there was a debate on whether we should have black Twitter or not? Obviously we should have black Twitter. Obviously we should have black Twitter. I mean, Twitter. there's right. a debate on whether the black community should be a thing. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> Honestly. But there's this dude named Herman Gray, right? And he's this really amazing professor at UC Santa Cruz of sociology and this scholar on televised black representations and and like representational politics. Um, And people are taking some of the things that he's talked about, about black individuals on media and how they're portrayed and equating it to what black Twitter is. So he suggests that there's three types of practices on images of black people, one of them being assimilationism, which obviously isn't black Twitter, considering um, the assimilationism is this elimination or marginalization of social and cultural differences in the interests of shared um, like similarity between everyone. Yeah, black um, so Twitter, black not black Twitter, Twitter is not about white similarity, is it? No, it's the exact opposite. I know, right? But see, that's the thing. The biggest debate um, is on whether it's between pluralism and multiculturalism. So pluralism is when black characters are placed in domestically centered black worlds. This is a quote that recognize race as the basis of cultural difference, but also perpetuate norms. Hey, um, so what would a domestically centered world look like? Right. The, basically, what they're saying is um, a world that that perpetuates quote unquote negative stereotypes of black people. Um, and that's a lot to unpack on its own. I know. What does negative mean? But the other argument is whether it's multiculturalism, which is and this is another quote. Um, not only a diverse array of ethnic talent, but also the discussion of issues embedded in culture. And so people who say that Black Twitter is pluralist really may not have ever been on Black Twitter because there's so many different subsets of on it. Remember during Thanksgiving, I remember looking through on my phone and seeing all the Caribbean Thanksgiving things, and those were the most hilarious to me, along with the hashtag about growing up African, along with the hashtags of drawing all Black and other things that allow so many different types of Black people to connect on something. And I love how with Black Twitter... We all have those same experiences that like people wouldn't expect. So there is one post and it was like every grandmother had this chair. The one with the plastic on it? Yes. And it was like you had millions of people retweet that. And it's like, damn, all of our grandmas really are the same. Honestly, I'm going to be real with you. I have learned more about Africans and Caribbeans through black Twitter than any educational space. That's just a fact. But that's about the education system. And that's a different podcast. Okay, so since we just talked about the more technical side of Black Twitter, we want to get into everybody's favorite parts. 
the hashtags. <laughs> so well known to be the best part of Black Twitter. It it's the main part of Black Twitter. That's why we all come. And so I'm gonna start us off with talking about laughing while black, which was kind of one of the pioneer hashtags for Black Twitter. Mm-hmm. So the story behind it was a group of black women in a book club called Sisters on the Reading Edge were kicked off of the Napa Valley wine train for laughing too loud. Damn. Listen, I know that's horrible and racist, but how do I join that book club? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure they would let you in if you wanted to. But um, basically, Twitter went into an uproar once the women told their stories and people started sharing similar experiences. And so it kind of became one of the first big hashtags. And the whole purpose of it was to kind of mix positivity and reminders to white people to kind of like stop calling police on black people for absolutely nothing. And I'm so glad we've resolved that issue. They've learned their (laughs) lesson, haven't they? We can definitely sell our lemonade on the streets and go swimming Mm -hmm. in our own homes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd really like to jump in real quick. Um, And I think it's really interesting that you were talking about the fact that people were sharing their lived experiences because that relates into a larger concept called the personal is political. And it's a feminist issue. And in this case, it's a womanist issue um, because it's adjacent to feminism, but it has that racialized component. And it's also, you know, a black Twitter issue. And the fact that so many people were engaging with it reminds me of this article I read. And it's called The Truth About Black Twitter. And it was an interview. And the interviewee said something that I found super interesting, basically saying that being Black Twitter was a six-step process that involved online and offline activism. So I'm going to go through those real quick. Um, That first step was identifying as a Black person interested in the topic that's being discussed. That's a quote. Um, So in hashtag laughing while Black, that would be finding those hashtags, um, knowing what's going on, understanding the content. Um, The second step is self-selection, which is participation, using that hashtag, performing that hashtag, which is the third step, Um, retweeting different posts, using the hashtag, um, showing people like, hey, I'm involved, I'm active about this. And then the next two steps are affirmation and reaffirmation, which is holding those conversations about the topic online and offline, also letting people know that you're engaged and helping them be engaged through the fact that you're educated and that you're willing to put in the work and the time. And then the last step, I really like this name, it's vindication. It's looking for offline change. And that is where we see the real life differences that Black Twitter is making. Like, I don't know, um, when an actor will whitewash a role and Black Twitter will rightly take to it, um, and then the actor is forced to step down from the part. You know, until they do it again. And again. And again. (laughs) All right, let me have this. (laughs) Um, But vindication is that public apology that you get. Even if it's kind of crappy, it's still recognition that using hashtags and rallying people through this phenomenon of Black Twitter can really make physical change. Which is actually really interesting that you talked about that after I was talking about Laughing While Black because the woman actually ended up getting a multi-million dollar settlement. And I don't think that would have happened if you didn't have Twitter in a complete uproar. You know, I think it's also really interesting how we're talking about the way that other people received Black Twitter because I was reading this article from the Social Media Research Foundation 
talking about how mainstream media often misses crises that happen in black communities and every single time they miss it black twitter catches them which we're all very very thankful for but it's also interesting that social media is the thing that kind of raises the consciousness of many news reporters to put issues that they probably would have overlooked on that mainstream media the same um, article that I read called Twitter the most robust real-time network during first-person accounts of protests and violent events, which I personally think is very true. Um, yeah, and I think that's uh, a form of something called consciousness raising, which I found um, in a couple articles. So it's a movement by a group of people to wa- to raise awareness about an issue, and that's often accompanied by fundraising or advocacy. And It can be as simple as sharing a lived experience. And although some people will say it's complaining, just the fact that so many people have these experiences of interpersonal discrimination shows how much of a larger systematic issue that it really is. And I really want to touch on the fact of Black Twitter catching things that mainstream media misses, because it does all the time. And Black blogs are such global... um, pieces where they can fill gaps talking about anything from addressing the um, addressing the fact that there was a Nightline special called Why Are There So Many Single Black Females? And then it also can address what Beyonce is doing at the same time as talking about real life issues of racism and sexism. And it does this in a creative and unconventional way using slang satire, creative language, signifying, and I think that's just really hashtag Black excellence right there. Glad that you mentioned Black excellence. So on that note, I'm going to talk about the real-life Black Panther, Akon. (laughs) Not only does he make bops, but he builds cities and provides electricity. So over the past few years, he's actually started a project called Akon Lighting Africa, in which he he and his group are trying to build solar panels to provide electricity to 60 million African people. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, the president of Senegal, because he is Senegalese, so that's why he's doing most of his work there, actually gave him 2,000 acres. And on that, he is building his own city that he calls a crypto city. And he's actually making his own currency, which is called Acoin, which I kind of want that to be the name of his next album. So basically what you're saying is that he just made real life Wakanda and we're all going to live there? Yes, I will move in a heartbeat. What it do, okay? Biology major from VCU, okay? I'm also a chemistry minor too. Get him. Neurology's what I want to pursue. Go ahead. My name is Terry. Yeah. That's my twin. I am. VCU's also where I take It's therapy, bio, and medicine. Let's get it. Black excellence. Come on. That segment you just heard was a rap from a few gentlemen from Virginia Commonwealth University. And so since they were talking about college, we want to highlight a few individuals that make me personally nervous for college applications. And we're also very inspired by everything that they do because they're incredible. So the first one I want to start off with is Mr. Michael Brown from Houston's Lamar High School. He was given a full ride to 20 universities. He ended up choosing Stanford University, but he also got offers from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, UPenn, along with a bunch of other ones. Yeah, no biggie. Yeah, just just casual light work. (laughs) And so also Jasmine E. Harrison from Greensboro, North Carolina, was accepted into not 50, not 60, 
not 80, not 90, not 100, but 113 colleges and universities out of the 115 that she applied to. Who denied her? I don't know. But whoever Can we call them out, like, right now? Whoever didn't advocate for her probably lost their jobs. So I don't think we need to call them out anymore. And so the crazy thing is that she ended up racking up $4 million in scholarships. And if you don't feel bad enough, I'm just going to leave the number $7 million in your head. So, in Memphis, Tennessee, Shariah Edwards. I'm going to let you guess how many colleges she was accepted into. Um, let's say like 120. Amalia? Okay, like I'm thinking, but I just don't feel like my guess is going to be big enough. So, 149 colleges. Damn. I can't imagine applying to 50 colleges, but she somehow managed to apply to 149. That's a lot of essays. Conspiracy. She's Black Hermione Granger, and she had a time turner, and that's how she did it. Mm. Or she was one of the witches from Halloween Town who could just write with their minds. Hmm. Confession, I have never seen Halloween Town. Me neither. I think that that's a hate crime. (laughs) That is a hate crime. So now you're obligated to watch every single one of them, and I'm going to hold you hostage until you do. I've I've heard it's a pretty iconic movie, though. It is iconic. It served looks. But the thing is, with Shariah Edwards, what she did to apply to all these colleges was her guidance counselor gave her a list from A to Z of all of the schools that don't have application fees, and she just went down the list. Mm, That's crazy. I don't even do all the assignments that my teachers hand me on handouts when those are like five. (laughs) And so, since the last two individuals that I talked about were women, I want to highlight hashtag Black Girl Magic, which is my personal favorite hashtag. And it's a hashtag we all hold very dear to our hearts. It really is. I know. It makes me just love everyone. And so the first woman I want to talk about is 53-year-old Pat McGrath, who started her makeup line two years ago with a $60 million investment and now is worth over a billion dollars. She's actually a true self-made millionaire. Shout out to Kylie Jenner. (laughs) I just... You know, Kylie could bring in some negative energy, so I want to, like, shout out the OG millionaire, Madam C.J. Walker. And did you say that Pat McGrath had a hair product line? Um, no, it was a cosmetics product line, but if she had one, you know who should drop a hair care line, though? Snoop Dogg. He went through every, he went through every single hair care journey. He was relaxed with his twist. Mm -hmm. He went natural, and now he has locks. But, like, for real... Um, Madam C.J. Walker, first female self-made millionaire, first black self-made millionaire. Like, she was so cool. She had her own line of hair products. Honestly, like, she and Pat McGrath should team up, like, do hair and, like, cosmetics. I mean, if she was still alive. Her spirit lives forever. <laughs> but, black don't crack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she still probably looks 25. But since you did mention first, I want to highlight a few firsts that have happened in the past few months. And so the first one I want to talk about is someone who I'll probably never be because I'm trash at sports and I'm far from a beauty queen. Her name is Deanne Kentish Rogers, who was the first black woman to represent Great Britain in the Miss Universe pageant. And just a side note, the Miss Universe pageant has been going on for I think now is its 67th year. Mm. And the fact that there's never been a black woman to represent Great Britain before that. And then on a similar note from my personal favorite school, MIT, there was a woman named Marina Robinson Snowden, who was the first black woman to receive a PhD in nuclear engineering. Wow, that's crazy. It is. So 
Can we talk about the beauty queen's hair? Because her locks are gorgeous. She's my hair goals. Just period. <laughs> she's just my everything goals because Honestly. she's also a heptathlete. Which means no that way. not only is she good at sports, but she's good at seven of them. Like, no. I do track, and when my coach puts me in four events, I cry. Like, I'm barely good at one sport. I'm not good at any. <laughs> And I think this also brings to mind that debate between pluralism and multiculturalism I was talking about earlier, just to recognize the global reach that Black Twitter has, because I feel like, at least me, I learned about all of this through Black Twitter and not through the news. So noticing that Black Twitter encompasses South Africa, encompasses Germany, encompasses UK, and all around the world just dispels the idea of Blackness as a monolith. And so, just since we're already on a light note, I want to give us to an even lighter note talking about just people living their best lives so the first one i want to talk about is miss blue ivy carter a goddess i don't know if you guys have been on instagram recently but there was pictures of the carter's vacation Mm -hmm. like there's so many pictures of her she's just so beautiful and she's like six and she's already my goals and she's richer so fast she's richer than my entire family i honestly i feel like she was born like two years ago and she's already six i know that's the thing it's gonna be weird watching her grow up and did the bougiest blacker we've ever seen oh she's gonna be so bougie and we're all gonna love it honestly there's gonna be a blue ivy version of scandal wait on it except instead of sleeping with the president she is the president yo but back to instagram so blue ivy there's a little picture of her and it makes my heart so warm and she's just standing in the pool in her little bougie black and white bathing suit Mm -hmm. with her sunglasses on staring off to the distance with her little umbrella drink Mm -hmm. i love her so much i love that entire family and also there was a there's actually a young lady who is our age who i actually know personally we went to the same high school freshman year okay her name is leah sorrell and she is becoming her own brand so she is 15 years old she's turning 16 this month and she's actually becoming an instagram model and a social media celebrity her instagram is leah.sorrell l-e-a-h dot s-o-r-r-e-l-l just give her a reminder that we went to the same school because i don't think she remembers me but yeah and so she has her own she has a huge instagram account a huge twitter account like her pictures have gone viral multiple times on black twitter and also she has a youtube channel and she's actually starting her own company that drops august 1st called bougie babe where she's going to be selling silk and mink lashes i can't wear lashes because i don't know how to put them on but i will probably buy them (laughs) what did you say her name was again uh leah sorrell her instagram is leah.sorrell well looks like that's all the time we had for today okay but before we go I don't think it's right for us to do Black Twitter like this. So I think we should have a little bit of an appreciation moment because I know I have my favorite trends and memes and I know for a fact that y'all do too. So I think we should just go around and share our favorites. Mm -hmm. You go first. All right. So y'all remember, you actually mentioned this earlier with the Thanksgiving, like the Caribbean Thanksgiving. I loved those. So there was also a subset of that called Thanksgiving clapbacks. Oh, Thanksgiving clapbacks. And so just to give a little background on this meme, you guys know me, like I wear makeup pretty often. And so- And you look cute as hell doing it. Thank you. And so my family, they're always like, you look too old for your age. And so basically in the meme, it was the aunt and she was like, why are you wearing all that makeup? And then the response was, why is nobody eating your potato salad? (laughs) And it's just like, that's just actually my family because we all have that one aunt. 
mm-hmm. that's just always mad about something. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you mean all of my aunts? <laughs> yeah, we all got that. I'm gonna go next because, like, this is not quite a meme, but y'all remember when that caption thing was, like, a trend? And, like, yeah. I know that Twitter is just basically a competition for the best caption, but, like, when everybody was really stepping up their game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there was this couple that got engaged, and they posted a picture of themselves with the ring and everything, and their caption was the coolest thing I've ever seen, and I will never forget it, and it said, tied the knot like a Bantu. If we can, you can too, like Mm C-A-N-T-U, and it's just so clever. That's going to be my senior quote. Right? That was a good one. You're not gonna get married to senior year. Okay, but I can be like tie the knot on graduation. Yeah, be like I wrap this up like oh, a bantu. Okay, okay. I'm gonna be like Issa Rae at my graduation. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> so I think that my favorite Black Twitter meme has to be. Do you guys remember J Cole's album "For Your Eyes Only"? It's so weird now. How could I forget? I know it's so weird to not say his new album because it's not new anymore. But regardless, everyone loved the song "Neighbors," right? So after Permit Patty went calling 911 <laughs> on people just, you know, living their lives, having a barbecue, right? Oh, Patty. <laughs> um, I saw this meme that was saying um, J. Cole's neighbor and then a picture of her like on the album cover. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that has to be my favorite. My sister actually went to his concert. When, no way. And um, yeah, for his four, four Your Eyes Only concerts. And during that, he actually went through every single song in the album and explained it. And he was basically like yeah like i'm a rapper so like i have people over and they always like they really thought i was selling drugs and it's Mm -hmm. like i'm just trying to live my best life i mean i feel like everybody's inspiration for living their best life is blue ivy just putting that back out there that's true Mm -hmm. all right we have loved talking to you today but us ladies really gotta run so remember to live your best lives and go have a great day and remember to stay relatively relatively conscious. conscious